Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. How's everybody doing? Staying dry, staying warm? Welcome. Well, we're glad you're here. My name is Josh Jones. I get to serve here as the pastor of discipleship. Um, and we've, I've loved it. My family, we've been here for two years. If you're new with us, uh, we're, we're thankful to be here. We're glad that you guys are here with us as well. Um, as you guys would come, and if this is your first time here, like just hopefully you'll hear as you come over the next several weeks and as you would check us out that you would find that this is a place where we really desire for people to take their next step in following Jesus. And we believe, we really believe that that happens best when it's done in community. And so our desire is to meet you. We want to get to know you. We want to connect you to the life here at Mercy. We want to get you connected to a community group. Um, and if you have any questions about those things, I would love to talk to you after this service. Tanner, who was up here earlier, that's what we do. We would love to connect you. So that's, that's what we're involved with. Um, but bottom line, we're just glad you're here. Um, you've joined us in week three of our Advent series. Um, and when we say Advent, we're simply talking about the arrival of Christ, right? That Christ has come. The one that God's people have been waiting for for centuries finally arrived. And that's what we get to celebrate when we, when we wake up Christmas morning, right? When we're decorating trees and we're opening up presents, all these things happen at this time of year. But the reality is of what we're celebrating is that we're celebrating the arrival of God's promised Messiah who has come to give us new life, right? What a great time of year for us to just stop and think about it. And really the secret guys, the secret that all churches have is that we actually talk about it every week. <laughs> we talk about the, the just the glorious realities of the arrival of Christ and how that changes our lives for, for all eternity. And, but one of the things that we experience during this Christmas season that sometimes has maybe felt a little bit more is this idea of waiting, right? None of us like to wait, right? We have all kinds of things built into our life to eliminate the wait as much as possible, right? So we've got Amazon. We all love Amazon. That has transformed the way we do Christmas shopping. That's transformed the way we do shopping, period, right? You've got next day delivery. Sometimes it even shows up on the day, right? We've got mobile apps that make fast food even faster, right? Like, so it's not just enough that I can show up to Starbucks and get my drink, but if I can put in the mobile order, just in time that I can swing by without even really stopping, pick it up and go and make it to where I need to get to, right? We've got, um, if, you, if you scrape together enough money to get into a theme park, right? You've got the privilege of spending more money, right? To buy a fast pass, right? And the fast pass makes your wait even shorter, right? So we've got all these things where we're trying to make life easier, shorten the wait, but the reality is, is that Christmas is all about waiting, right? It's all about waiting where God's people had been waiting for centuries for this promised Messiah who had come, who would give them new life, right? We can't fast pass our way through Christmas and we shouldn't fast pass 
our way through Christmas. And I think as we keep working through this message this morning, I think what I hope will resonate with you is that a lot of times the waiting is hard because in the waiting, we don't have control, right? When we don't have control, we tend to get really anxious and we wanna try and even like tighten our grip even harder on the things that we might want to have control over. But when we're waiting, what gives us hope in the waiting is when we can trust the one we're waiting on, right? And that's what we're gonna talk about this morning is trusting in the one we're waiting on. And that's what Luke is gonna talk about in Luke chapter two, when we talk about the birth of Jesus, we call it the incarnation. It's this idea that, that God took on flesh and came to dwell amongst us, right? That's what we're seeing when we open up to Luke and we open up to the gospels and we see the arrival of Jesus. And when the things our hearts hope for, tapping back into this idea of waiting, right? When the things our hearts hope for seem slow to arrive or never to arrive at all, we can oftentimes feel alone and we can feel forgotten, right? So as you come this morning, I, I don't want it to be, to be missed that maybe you're coming this morning and you're feeling alone. Maybe you're coming and you're feeling overlooked by God. And we can feel this way for a variety of reasons, but for whatever the reason, right? If this describes you, I pray that you'll find comfort in the truths that we're gonna uncover this morning, right? The reality is that God is present with his children and he makes that so abundantly clear through the incarnation, right? His name is Jesus and another name given to him is Emmanuel and Emmanuel means God with us, right? How amazing is that? Right, the God who spoke all of creation into existence, who knit you together in your mother's womb, who knows the number of hairs on your head, says, I am with you. And that's one of the names that he has for himself is Emmanuel, God with us. Right, so this means that even in our loneliest moments, right, moments when we fear God can't see us or that he doesn't hear us, or is either unaware of where we are or just doesn't seem to care, we can know with certainty that God does see us, right? He does hear us and he does care. He's Emmanuel, he's God with us. So this morning, we're gonna walk through Luke chapter two. We're gonna be in verses one through seven that Casey just read for us. And I, and I want you guys to go ahead and open your Bibles if you have them. If you don't, you can follow along on the screen. And, and basically, we're just gonna walk through this passage. Um, it's not a long passage, it's really short. Um, and rather than just kind of fast forwarding and jumping to the shepherds, which is a really cool scene in the whole Christmas story, um, we're going to camp out here. We're going to talk about the implications of, of just the incarnation and the hope that it should give us. Right, through Jesus' birth, through his life, his death, and his resurrection, God gives us hope. And he gives us a certain hope that redemption and salvation are provided for us in Jesus. And this hope should infuse every aspect of our life. So do you find yourself struggling with hope this morning? Or do you find yourself waiting for this certain thing that you want to happen, right? And oftentimes we can feel hopeless, right? We feel that way, but it's because we have actually begun to place our hope in something other than Jesus, right? When we place our hope in improved relationships or circumstances, we're placing our hope in a thing rather than Jesus, right? And the beautiful reality of the gospel is that it teaches us to put our hope in Jesus and not our circumstances, right? And because of this reality, we can have a hope that is secure and certain, right? We can have a hope in the midst of our pain. We can have hope in the midst of our brokenness, or we can have hope in the everyday moments of our lives, which is 
really brings us to the big idea of our, of our sermon this morning. And that's this, is that Jesus's birth gives us hope in our pain, in our brokenness, and in the everyday moments of our lives. All right, so let's look at Luke chapter two, in verse one, Luke starts by writing in those days. And basically Luke is helping to establish the setting and the time of Jesus's birth, right? It doesn't start like a fairy tale might with once upon a time, but rather in those days. And he does this to communicate that the events we're about to read, they're real events, right? And they happen to real people with an impact for all eternity, right? So let's keep reading. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. All right, so let's pause again for just a minute, right? Caesar Augustus was at, at this time, the emperor of Rome, right? His original name was Octavian and he was the adopted son of Julius Caesar, Right, once Julius passed away, Octavian took over as emperor of Rome and he took on the name Caesar and he also added to it the title of Augustus, which means great or venerable. Right, his title, self-given by the way, right, it insinuated that he was worthy of worship. Now, before Caesar's adopted son, Julius, before, before Julius had passed away, um, before Julius passed away, he was actually deified or made a god by the Roman Senate. Right, so he was called the divine Julius. And what's interesting about this right, is that Caesar Augustus, Julius' son, was then referred to as a son of a God. Right? And so just think about that landscape, that setting. You've got Caesar Augustus given a title, son of a God. And in that moment, at that time, Jesus, the true son of God, right, the one true God was born into our world showing that there's only one God in heaven and Caesar ain't him. So back to the story, Caesar decides that he wants to have a census, right? He wants to know who's in his kingdom so he can know how much tax revenue he can expect that year, how many people that he can boast in, right? In verse two, it says this first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was, one, he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. All right, so now we're starting to see some movement in our story. All right, Caesar Augustus makes a decree to count everyone in the Roman Empire, and it causes Joseph and Mary to pick up, to gather the things, and to head to Bethlehem, the city of David. And if you've been with us for a little while, you might remember Pastor Spence said, any time that you see or hear somebody talk about David in the New Testament, you need to think promise, right? God made a promise to King David in the Old Testament that his kingdom would endure forever. And here in these opening lines, we learn that Joseph is a descendant of David, right? The gospel of Matthew also traces Jesus's lineage back to David. So this little reference to Bethlehem and the line of David is really significant. Right? It's, it's evidence supporting that Jesus is the rightful king who will rule and reign forever. And it's, it, and, and, it, and it's highlighting that in his birth, Jesus fulfilled the prophecy that Micah spoke of 700 years before that this Messiah, the Savior, would be born in Bethlehem, just the same place that King David was born. All right, so we have to ask, was Caesar responsible for bringing Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem? Or was God doing this? Right, when we consider all these things, we realize that it's not man or human governments that have the final authority, but it's God, right? He's the one behind the scenes working all things together for the good of his people. 
King Solomon wrote in Proverbs 21, verse one, he said, a king's heart is like channeled water in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. And so Caesar's decree was like channeled water in God's hands. God was directing these events and this should give us great comfort, right? And hope as we think about the circumstances of our lives, the things that are happening in and around us. Right, as we think about these things that feel like they're sometimes out of our control and, and even some of the things that we feel like are under our control, like all of them can be and must be trusted in the hands of a good God who will bring about good things for his children. Right, it was God, not Caesar, moving Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. So then in verse six, it says, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there's no guest room available for them, right? This is a story that I'm sure most of us are really familiar with. So why does it matter so much to us, right? Why do we retell it year after year, teaching it again and again? It's because the birth of Christ changes everything, right? Jesus is the long awaited for king and deliverer sent under unlikely circumstances to rescue us from our sin, to deliver us from, the bo from bondage and to give us hope. Right, and this brings us back again to our main idea that Jesus' birth gives us hope in our pain, in our brokenness, and in the everyday moments of our lives. Right, the very birth of Christ is evident that God sees us in our pain. And rather than step away, he steps in. Right, God is not sitting in heaven right, as a passive observer watching history unfold, being slow to provide help. Right, God always moves towards us in our hurting to be present with us and to be a source of comfort to us. Right, we see this continuously throughout the scriptures over and over. God meets his children in their hurting and in their pain. Right? The nation of Israel is an example of this for us. Right? If you guys were here with us in our Exodus series, we saw how, how God's sovereign hand entered into their lives while they were in slavery and in bondage to Egypt. And he drew them out and rescued them. He brought them deliverance. Right? The writers of the Old Testament describe God's tenderness and his steadfast love. Right, that he's a good shepherd. Right, David writes about God being a good shepherd in Psalm 23 and how he is able to restore the souls of his children. And he gives them rest. Right, Isaiah talks about it when he says that God will not break a bruised reed and right, he'll not put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. And I know many of you come in here and you probably feel, maybe you feel like a bruised reed. Right? Maybe you feel like a candle whose flame is about to go out. And what I, what I want you, what you need in those moments is to be reminded of God's tenderness. Right? When, I was, when Ashley and I had just gotten married, uh, my wife, we had just gotten married, um, we felt really clear on what we thought the plan was supposed to be. Right? That I was going to go to seminary. I had a job working part-time at a church. She was working full-time, paying our bills. And that was going to be the way it was set up until I could graduate, get a job, and then we start a family, right? Five months in to being married, surprise, we're pregnant. It's like, ha oh, ha, yay, pregnant. Which is really like, that was, we were thrilled to be pregnant, right? That brought Ivy to us, our daughter. And we're so thankful for Ivy and what a gift she is to our family. But in that moment, for me was terror, for Ashley was nothing but pure joy, right? She was bouncing off the walls. And I remember this moment going to a chapel service in seminary and just kind of carrying the weight of this and not really sure how this was going to work out. I felt 
so convinced that God was moving us in one direction. And then I was like, okay, now I guess I'll need to stop school and get a job and figure out like how we're going to make this thing work. Um, and I remember the guy who was given the, the chapel sermon was teaching out of Luke 12. Um, in Luke 12, Jesus is teaching his followers that they don't need to let the anxieties of life rule their lives because God knows what they need. Right In verse 32, he said, don't be afraid. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He says, don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. When I heard the words, don't be afraid, little flock, like it just, like I just crumbled in my seat, right? It was like what I, I needed to hear to know that God saw me, that God cared, that he heard me, and that I could have hope in the midst of this really uncertain time where we felt like we were waiting and not sure of what the result would be, right? And over the course of that year, we saw God prove time and time again that he saw us, right? Continue to meet our needs and guide and direct us and and we wouldn't, when we look back on it, we wouldn't change a single thing, right? God showed himself to be the one that we could have hope in, the one that we could trust in. So what pain or hardship are you feeling right now, right? That you need to give to God and to receive his hope, right? To receive hope with open hands, you have to let go of whatever it is that you're holding on to. So maybe it's marriage, right? Maybe it's become more challenging than you thought it would be. And you're waiting for God to show up. You're waiting for God to, to bring unity and strength back to your marriage. Maybe it's a relationship, a friendship, something in a family, a family relationship that you're, you're trying to navigate. Maybe there's challenges at work or school and you fee, feel beat up and you find yourself in a spot where the future seems unclear. Or maybe you continue to find yourself falling into the same sin over and over and you've begun to feel alone and maybe even unworthy of God's grace and you wonder if God even cares. And the birth of Christ right, is proof that God cares, right? He has entered into our world to be present with us. It's important that we understand this, right? God is showing us through the birth of his son that he sees you, that he's present with you, right? He's showing us that he's one, that he's one who steps towards us in our brokenness and in our pain, right? He chose to enter into our world conceived in the womb of an unwedded woman, born amongst the humble and lowly and not amongst the religious or political elite, right? In Isaiah 53, Isaiah writes that Jesus would be despised and rejected and that he would bear our sickness and our pains, right? Jesus was a man who suffered greatly while on earth and certainly through his death and through his suffering, he's able to identify with us in our sufferings right? and to give us comfort. So Mercy Church, what do we do when we find ourselves consumed with the pains of this world? We have to give it to him, right? Sometimes it's as literal as speaking out loud, God, I give this to you, right? In a moment of desperation, right? Give the pain you carry to Jesus and he'll give you hope in the midst of it, right? He'll be faithful to walk you through it. Your job is to trust him. It doesn't mean it gets easy. It doesn't mean that your circumstances will change the next day or that moment. It just means that God's promises to be with you and he'll promise to guide you through it. Trusting often seems to oftentimes feels like a passive decision, right? When we see a problem, we wanna fix it. But let me encourage you that trusting God is not a passive choice, right? It simply means that you live and move in a way that's dependent upon him, trusting him and not yourself for the outcome, right? So Jesus gives us hope in our pain. But he also gives us hope in our brokenness, right? And here's what I mean. Jesus's birth was very purposeful. 
right? He lived a perfect life, fully and intending to offer himself as a perfect sacrifice to God, dying on your behalf, right? And it's through putting our trust in his death and resurrection as payment for our sin that we can be forgiven and put back into a right relationship with God. And when we do this, the scriptures teach us that we're given new life, right? And that we're no longer enslaved to our sin. Sin no longer is our master, right? It always will be a constant struggle, right? And at times it may feel like it has our number, but sin, according to God's word, is no longer our master and no longer defines who we are. That's amazing news, right? Like only God could do something that, like that to free us from our sin and to actually give us righteousness, and he gives us his righteousness. So what Paul's getting at in 2 Corinthians 5.21 when he says that he, talking about God, made the one who did not know sin, talking about Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's this great exchange. It's kind of incomprehensible, right? That God would take our sin, that he would give us his righteousness. St. Athanasius is a, a church father from the fourth century. And he said it really plainly this way. It says, he became what we are. He became what we are that we might become what he is. He became what we are that we might become what he is. And this is a reality that, again, is just incomprehensible for us to grasp that the God who made us would send his only son to come and die in our place and give us his righteousness so that we could be forgiven and made new. So hope in our brokenness comes only from Jesus. And we need to be reminded continually that our hope when placed in him is secure. Or we can't place our hope in our performance or our circumstances, but in Christ and Christ alone. Right? And maybe you're here this morning and you need to be reminded that you are no longer defined by your sin. Right? We sing this in a song um, called Good Great. Right? I'm not going to sing it for you. You may want me to, but I won't. Get over refrain. It says, there is freedom in the Lord, for I am not my sin, and will never be again, right? That captures the certainty of the hope I'm talking about, right? Through Christ, we are saved from sin and death and that salvation is secure, right? We're given new life and with new identity, we're no longer defined by our sin and we never will be again, right? Mercy, as we think on Christmas this year, right? Let's be reminded of the glorious reality that God does not shrink away from us because of our sin, but out of compassion, he moves towards us. And so from the first moment sin even entered in the world in Genesis 3, we see God moves towards us in our sin, right? This was part of our Advent reading and it stood out to me in a different way this year, right? When Adam and Eve sinned, God asked, where are you, right? I used to read that and hear a condemning voice, right? A voice carrying all the undertones of the pronouncement of guilt and shame that I believe that Adam and Eve should have felt in that moment. However, I read it differently this year. Instead of hearing a condemning voice, I heard a voice of compassion. This time I heard is, where are you? With the undertones of a compassionate father moving towards his children, wanting to find them, wanting to, to help them in their time of desperation and need. And he was moving towards Adam and Eve in the garden. He wasn't pushing them away. And then he began to reveal to them a plan that he had put in motion to redeem them and their children and their children's children and so on and so on. And all we have to do is release our sin through something we call repentance, right? It's simply turning away from following, following our desires, our selfish desires, and turning to Jesus and receiving the forgiveness and grace that he offers. And as we do this, as we turn to Jesus, he meets us with grace. He gives us hope in the midst of our sin, right? A hope that's certain. 
Lastly, Jesus gives us hope in the everyday moments of our lives, right? This should be an encouragement to us to keep trusting God in the everyday little tasks that are before us in life, right? When you trust a God who's sovereign, a trip to the grocery store is no longer an ordinary thing, right? Another day at the office is no longer just another day at the office, right? And school is no longer something that has to be endured until summer vacation, right? Each moment of each day can have meaning and purpose in ways we may never fully understand, right? Our job is to keep taking our next step of obedience, right? Trusting that he has purpose in each moment. Think back with me a bit to our passage this morning, right? Caesar Augustus calls for a census, which required Joseph to go to Bethlehem, right? The text tells us that Mary went with him, right? Did they know why this was happening? Maybe not to the full extent, right? Did they know what they're supposed to do? Yeah, they're supposed to go to Bethlehem, right? Trusting not in Caesar or his decree, right? But trusting in the sovereign God who controls all things, right? When we place our trust and hope in God who is all powerful, who has all authority and all wisdom, then we can step into the things that are before us without always knowing the why, right? We can step forward with confidence when we know that God is good, loving and wants what's best for his children. It's what allows us to trust him with the things that make no sense and the things that are really hard, right? So the question becomes, do you believe that your life and world are ruled by a loving God who's in control of all things? How different would your life be if you truly lived as though there was not a situation, location, or relationship that you could ever be in that isn't ruled by Jesus? How would it change the way you interact with those around you? Right? How would it change the way you step into the responsibilities God has given you? Well, there's a, a tool, a helpful tool I want to share with you guys from a, a theologian and pastor named Paul Tripp that he's come up with. Um, and it's a really good way to think through just the practical implications of the sovereignty of God in your everyday life. All right, so we've got it up on the screen, um, but you could really just draw this out on a sheet of paper and just drawing like a big circle and inside it, drawing a little circle. Right? And that smaller circle in the middle it's called the circle of responsibility. And in this circle, you can list all the things that God has made you responsible for. For example, I have a job, right? I'm responsible to show up on time, to work hard, create spaces to help people grow in their walk with Jesus. Right? All those things go in a small circle. I'm a husband. Right? I have a responsibility to care for my wife. I had to point her to Jesus. I'm a father. I have a responsibility to love and care for my kids, to point them to Jesus. I've got responsibility to pay taxes, right? I've got responsibility to be a good citizen and on and on. All these things go in this inner circle, right? These are things, these are my responsibilities to do. These are things that I'm to carefully and faithfully obey God in, right? That's the inner circle. The outer circle contains things that are of concern to me, but I'm not actually responsible for, right? These are the things that I can't control. For example, your job, you get to control how you show up, right? You get to control the attitude you bring, the effort you put in, but you can't control how others receive you, right? If you're a parent, you get to control the way you show up in the house, right? The way you care for your kids, the way you talk to them and point them to Jesus, but you don't get to manipulate their heart and make them trust Jesus. You don't get to impact their, you don't get to have that kind of control. That's something only God can do. Only God can draw them to himself. Right, choosing a career, right, you make the choice on where you go to school, you put in the work and you apply for the job. You don't get to control who hires you. 
and who, who accepts your interview. All right, so now think about, um, those are all things, right? Many things probably come to your mind as we think about it that capture your heart and mind, but they may not be, um, but they're not your direct responsibility, right? So another example is like, I want all of you guys um, to just be amazing spouses and friends, right? I want interest rates to drop and for all of you guys to be able to get the house of your dreams. I want to have a white Christmas in Charlotte, right? These are all things that I'm concerned with and I care about, right? And some of these things are like, that would fit in this outer circle. Like they're really, they're real things that matter to you, but they fit in this outer circle because they're things that we don't actually get to control. And sometimes our greatest moments of anxiety are a result of us trying to control the things that are not ours to control. And those are the things, the very things that we need to be trusting to God. And as we even think about this circle, even the things that fit in that circle of responsibility, you, those have to be trusted to God too, right? It's not like I get to live this independent life and it's all on me in any of those circles. But there are certain things that God has given you responsibility to do. And there's other things where he's just saying, hey, you just, you just need to sit back and you just need to trust. Trust that I know, trust that I see, and that I know what to do here. All right, so let's think back on our story in Luke chapter two. Like what are some of the things that were, that, that were out of Mary and Joseph's control? Well, one, the census, right? Caesar Augustus called for a census that required them to go to Bethlehem. Right? The timing of Jesus's birth, out of their control. Right? The accommodations they would, they would have for the birth of Christ, out of their control. How King Herod would respond to Jesus's birth, out of their control. But what was in their control? Making the decision to go. Right? God moved them to Bethlehem. They knew as the, the, the task before them, they were next responsible for, right? So each of us, as we think about our life, like what's the thing that's in front of you to do? Trust God with it, obey God in it, right? And be faithful to it, right? God has purpose behind it, right? Both circles are filled with things that require us to trust God in a dependent way. But the things in the outer circle remind us that God is at work and in control even when we can't understand or see what he's doing. Right? Mary and Joseph probably didn't understand why she was chosen to be the mother of Jesus or why Caesar called for a census that caused them to travel to Bethlehem just before Jesus was born. But what they could do was place their hope in a sovereign, all-powerful, and loving God that is able to work all things together for their good and for his purposes. As Jesus' birth reminds us that in him we have a certain hope because our hope is fixed on a person, right? Jesus, not our circumstances, All right? We can have hope in the midst of our pain. We can have hope in the midst of our brokenness. We can have hope in the everyday moments of our life because we know God is overseeing all of it. And so as we wrap up this morning, I want you to ask yourself, where have you been placing your hope? Like what's that thing that's, that's sitting in the back of your mind or in your heart, the, 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 the if only kind of question, right? If only this would change, then everything would be better. What is that for you? And when you can identify that, the next question is what keeps you right now from giving that over to Jesus? For entrusting, from entrusting that to God who made you, who sustains you, who gives you life, right? If you've, ever had, if you've had young ones running around your house, whether yours or someone else's, 
Hey, you kind of go, it's kind of silly for you to worry about where your next meal is going to come from because I've got a pantry over here, right? I'm going to give you food, right? In so many ways, I feel like that's how God is with us, right? Where he's like, hey, you're worrying about, you're spinning your wheels on all these things that I've already got figured out. I just want you to sit and I want you to trust, right? I, I think I've proven that to you over the years. I'm going to continue to show you that in your future. I want you to just sit and trust, So as we close in prayer this morning, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of space to sit, right? To to confess to God, what are the things that you're placing your hope in? And I want you to think like, what would it take for you to no longer place your hope in that thing, but to put your hope in Jesus? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just take this time to just remember you. God, you're the God who spoke all of this into creation, into existence. God, you sent your son Jesus to enter into our lives, to dwell amongst us for the purpose of redeeming us and giving us new life. Lord, I pray that you would just meet with us in this moment. God, that you would expose in our hearts and our minds the things that we find ourselves hoping in things, not you, like where we've, where we've got misplaced hope. God, we just bring those to you. God, would you take them from us and that we would be able to find our trust in you, our hope in you that is certain and secure, God. And would we be able to hold that intention with the fact that sometimes things just don't play out and work out the way that we think they should. But God, you are a big God And we know that you can hold all those things. You can care for all those concerns. You can work in the midst of and meet us in the midst of some of our deepest and most painful hurts. In fact, God, that's where we, that's always where we find you. So God, I pray this morning that you'd help us to find our rest and find our hope in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.